This podcast, number 837, with Mark Bernstein, is brought to you by Clifford Hudson, author of a new book entitled Master of None, How a Jack of All Trades Can Reach the Top. Cliff Hudson is the former CEO of Sonic Drive-In, a major franchise fast food chain headquartered in Oklahoma City. In his new book, Cliff addresses the fact that to reach the top, it is not always necessary to be so skilled at one thing, but to have a multitude of skills that you are good at and that can help you navigate the path towards success. In my interview with Cliff, we discussed the twists and turns of his personal career that led him to become the CEO of Sonic Corporation. If you want to learn more about Cliff and his new book, Master of None, a jack of all trades can still reach the top, please visit his website at Clifford Hudson, that's www.clifordhudson.com. And now for our featured podcast, I hope you enjoy listening to my interview with Mark Bernstein about his new book, The Fiscal Therapy 1.0. Happy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And we have Mark Bernstein joining us um, from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Good day to you, Mark. How are you doing? Great, Greg. How are you? Well, we appreciate having you on the show. I'm doing great for a Monday morning. And um, you are a friend of Bill Gladstone's. That's how we connected. Uh, Bill sends us a lot of great authors. And for those of you who don't know, he has a company called Waterside Productions here in North San Diego County. And Mark is one of the authors that published through Waterstone. Mark, I'm going to let our listeners know a teeny bit about you because my first question really kind of helps us get to how you got to this concept of his new book called The Physical Therapy, Fiscal Therapy, Solution 1.0, Six Steps to Personal and Business Financial Health. For all my listeners, um, go out and get a copy. This is a very easy read. Mark's going to tell us some things today that are fundamentally different than the way most financial planners approach things or financial advisors. And I think it's really important that uh, you learn these lessons because it's important. So um, Mark is a financial planner, and I'd say he's more than that. He's really your confidant. He's your Sherpa. He's the guy that helps you go up the mountain. He's a strategist and the founder of M Wealth Advisors. Uh, which he established after 25 years as a senior partner in a major regional financial services firm. Uh, Mark is the creator of the Fiscal Therapy Solution Model for Financial Planning, in which his clients a partner with a trusted advisor to turn dreams and financial goals into reality. Uh, Mark holds a BA in music from the University of Delaware and a Juris Doctorate degree from Ohio State University College of Law, having also attended NYU School of Law. He brings his creativity, legal expertise, and deep experience in financial planning to assist each of his clients in their distinct financial circumstances. He's a chartered financial consultant, or a CHFC as they call it. He's a chartered life underwriter, a CLU, and a chartered advisor in philanthropy, or a CAP. Uh, He's also an accomplished musician and a dedicated community servant. Again, find him at Mark, M-A-R-C, Bernstein, B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N.com. That's where you can find his website. You can also find him on... Greg, Mark J. J. Bernstein. J, J. sorry. I see the J in some of these, and it is J. Mark J. Make sure we put it. We're going to have links to all of these as well. So... 
We'll have LinkedIn link, Facebook link, Twitter link, Instagram link. Those will all be on the blog. So I, have one other, I have one other slight correction too, just in case there are any Buckeyes on, on, the, on the call. It's the Ohio State University College. Okay, the, the all right, all right. It's a, a big deal if you watch college football, the. So, Mark, just as a side note here, as a musician, what do you play? I am a, I'm primarily a bass player. I was a music composition major, so I like to write, primarily a songwriter. Ah. I play some guitar, some piano, a few, few different intru- instruments, sort of well, jack a, of all trades, ace of none. I'm best as a bass player. But my I wife is a music songs. teacher, and I have students that come in and out of this house all afternoon long playing the piano and the saxophone and the flute. So Ooh, I get to hear that. I get to hear that. Sometimes it sounds good, Mark, and sometimes it doesn't because all imagine. the kids are pretty young. <laughs> I, I can imagine. I, can, I was a trombone player originally. You wouldn't want to have heard me at that age. Either. Oh, no, I was too. I was a trombone player, and are my really? parents got me a trombone. And I swear to you, I would practice, and I thought, oh, my God, there's poor people. They're not going to be able to stand this. <laughs> How about that? I played uh, I for many years. I got decent, but I don't play trombone anymore. I play. Well, no you know, way. there's a lot of similarities between the discipline that music takes and financial fiscal therapy. I agree. Um, the discipline in anything to get good at it requires that you want to participate, that you want to be there, that you need to be active. Mark, I appreciate the philosophy that you take about money. You probably take the same philosophy about money that you do about music. Uh, that you you don't think of some point out there in the horizon as this single driving goal. Um, and if you're in music, you're in it. It's the essence of being in it in the moment, at the time, right? Um, but instead, physical therapy is the ongoing journey in which you build security and financial freedom, in which your hopes and your dreams and your money go along the way. What defining moments for you in life helps you to adopt this kind of philosophy, you know, because it's, it is unique uh, in one respect. And in another respect, it's something where people have to think about, you know, it isn't like, well, how rich am I going to get? It's how am I going to use my money effectively, right? What can I change with the worth that I bring to the world? Not only my money worth, but my personal worth, right? And that's a unique approach. So explain to us how you got there. Well, I, some experiences, I think you're going to ask me another question about something that happened to my family that's in the book, and I'll tell you about that. And I thought about this question. You know, I'm not sure it's as much as one defining moment as it is sort of the journey, so I'll talk about that. But there was one defining moment when I came into this business and I saw the financial planning pyramid that they showed me. And it was built, it was, you know, it looked like a pyramid and it was built with, um, you know, graded steps on it. And it started, and it was all about product. So it started out with, you know, cash at the bottom and it had, you know, maybe money market above that because that was a lot better than cash in those days. Interest rates were really high. And then it went up to um, maybe um, mutual funds and it went up to bonds, then stocks, then alternative investments. And I, that, maybe because of my legal background and what I knew how to, and I was just learning the financial business, but what I knew how to do was ask questions. And to me, that was, I I was questioning that. 
Like, why would you build it around product? How do I know that someone I see is going to even need any of those things? You know, because I knew enough to know that there are people that invest in real estate that wasn't on there. You know, it was all the things that the product, the company that I was affiliated with at the time wanted to sell. And I was like, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. So that sort of began me on the journey of thinking about what do people really need and how do we get it for them? Um, I like that approach because, you know, you weren't, you weren't just taking things blindly. And I think sometimes even in, um, I was just had a podcast just prior to you. Um, the end of upside down living is the name of the book. And you also wrote a book called the end of upside down thinking prior to that. And I, I think it's like blind faith, you know, you're just following think. I mean, a a perfect example of that is just kind of what happened at the Capitol last Wednesday, right? It's like, do you just keep going on believing what somebody is telling you? Or do you question, question these things, right? And I think what's important is you question it. And one in one of your videos, uh, at your website, you speak about your father and his greeting card business, and it going up in smoke, right? Just literally burned to the ground. Um, what impact did that have on you as a child and your passion for helping people live abundantly and rewarding and, and enriched lives? Because you were saying that he didn't have much insurance either. So, you know, your your dad had not insured the building and the contents and all the rest of the stuff. So explain what happened in that moment and then what proceeded after that. Well, so first of all, you have to understand being the oldest of three sons in a family, an entrepreneurial family, my father started the business from scratch and he literally worked his whole life and it was seven days a week. So the idea, um, so the emotional imprint to me wasn't really about money at that point. I didn't really, I was a senior in high school, a junior or senior in high school. And I, it didn't occur to me until he said, he did have insurance and he had reviewed his insurance, but he hadn't done it for a few years and he knew immediately that it was going to be inadequate. So he mentioned that and I thought, Hmm, this could, this could be a bad thing financially, you know? So that's as much as it occurred to me about that. But what really occurred to me is he had put at that point, I would say 20 years of his life, maybe more than 20 years of his life into that business and literally worked seven days a week and was just being able to take it easy. So he was working towards his own financial freedom, his financial independence. And I saw that that's what was going up in smoke and flames. You know, that was, that's, I could tell by the concern in his voice and the fact that he didn't have enough insurance that this could be a really bad financial event. And that that was going to put a damper on his plan, his dreams and his plans. So it left a big emotional imprint. It wasn't until really many years later that I realized how I think it impacted my thinking and and maybe even why I chose this as a career. Um, Also, one of the things is I, my, I had on my other side of the family, my grandfather and uncle were accountants and, you know, as, as a music major and I was taking, I wanted to take, you know, diversity of courses and I took accounting 101 my freshman year before I really got into all my music classes. And um, I was like, I'm never doing this for a living. This was not, it was just ledgers. And I just, I was good in math, but I just had no interest. But yet I ended up in something, not, not accounting, but something some, you know, somewhat close to it. Um, work with accountants all the time, work with taxes, you know, so 
So how did that happen? So I thought a lot about that. So I think partly, you know, the background that people were financially oriented in my family. And then, and then the fact that um, this happened. And as I built my own financial planning pyramid in the business, you know, compared to the one we talked about before, at the bottom of that pyramid, it says protection. It says protection, then it says savings and debt, then it says growth, then it says income and legacy. And that's the one I use now, and that's in my book. And the reason is I saw firsthand, you know, and really got it emotionally that not having enough insurance can be a much bigger deal than a bad year in the stock market. You know, that's you're working further up the pyramid when something happens up there. But if you haven't protected your base, in this case, his ability to earn an income, which which drove everything that we did as a family financially, you know, that's a lot more devastating. So the pyramid that I developed over time is and adopt, you know, I adopted it from other sources and other people were using similar things. But I think mine's unique in terms of those five levels. And it's a little like maybe Maslow's, if they had a hierarchy of financial needs, I think it sort of covers really everything that people were looking for. As you said before, it's not about the money. It's about generating the income and perhaps about your legacy, which are the two top levels of the pyramid. And that's why you're doing these things. So that yeah. made a lot more sense to me than that, bro- what I call the brokerage model of financial planning, which is all about the product. And again, the emotional imprint of that fire, you know, ha- had, had me really think about what that should look like. Well, and I think it depends on where you are in this stage in your life. You know, if you get somebody come in in their 30s versus their 40s or 50s, their 60s, or even their 70s, um, their state or conditions and of affairs are different. They're thinking about the world from a different worldview. And what I like about you is you approach them from where they are. You get them to think about all of those elements, no matter what part it is in their life. If they're in their 70s, maybe it's long-term care. If they're in their 30s, maybe it's disability insurance that they need to think about or whatever it might be. But you state that our financial uh, health is integrally connected to us defining our purpose. Now, this is this, you know, there aren't a lot of financial planners that are going to cross into the world of defining the purpose for people, um, which is why you're unique in what you do. Why, in your estimation, is knowing and living your purpose so important to one's financial health? Well, I can look at that a few different ways. One is, I know plenty of wealthy people who are wealthy in terms of their net worth in terms of their finances, but not necessarily in their spirit. And on the other hand, I know people that are wealthy in their spirit, not necessarily in their, in their financial situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not preaching, you know, I'm not saying that one is more important than the other, but maybe this is in the lines of, you know, doing what you love, you know, having a passion about something, you know, somebody wrote a book, do what you love and the money will follow. Mm-hmm. And, what, what, when I see people that are really wealthy in money and spirit, it's because they've got a passion about something. They've got a purpose in life. And I think the passion comes from having a purpose many times. And that is sort of true wealth. So, and I also think it's much easier when you, you see stories all the time about people, you know, especially entrepreneurial people, which is primarily who I work with that they took something they loved as a hobby and they figured out how to monetize that 
And they seem to be the happiest people out there because, Mm -hmm. you know, because they're doing what they love and they're making money doing it and their purpose develops from there. So now that they've got all these financial resources, what are they going to do with that? How do they get back to the passion that they originally had, whatever that is. So, so it's all connected to me. So I think ultimately I don't start out by saying, what's your purpose in life? No, but but we'll talk about it. But we, we ask a lot of questions that sort of leads people to the deeper questions and I, and you see more and more meaning in their lives as they, as they progress along the journey. And that's, that's how that connects for me. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because I recently did uh, an interview with Randy Faulkner, who's uh, a longtime friend with Don Green, the executive director and I am as well of the Napoleon Hill foundation. Mm-hmm. But Randy's book was think and grow through art and music. Now, what you find out about musicians is many of them for years and years and years and years weren't making a lot of money. And then all of a sudden they hit on one song or two songs and they make all this money, but they pursued their passion, right? Just like you you were just saying, they were pursuing something that they really loved. And then this big hit, I mean, he gave numerous examples like Pharrell Williams. He was in his 40s before he hit the happy song right? It was like 47 or something, but he wasn't making a lot of money prior to that, right? Right. Um, So it's really interesting, the correlation by what you just said about somebody pursuing their passion and not giving up, while at the same time, you know, making money from that passion, ultimately making money from that passion. And you mentioned the second step, the six steps of financial health is to assess where you are. Whether you have a lot or you don't have anything, assess where you are. It doesn't, you know, where, where's your assessment? But your question for doing so are very different from your fi- from the financial planners. What are the questions that you would let our listeners ask or you would ask them in answer to explore assessing where they are? What are some of those questions? Well, one of the things, I've, this past year, I've done some things I call web conversations. They're Zoom meetings, but they're interactive and they're designed to provoke thinking and things like that. And one of the things I talk about is, where are you? I start with, where are you? And when I say, where are you? To give them a frame of reference, I talk about life stages. And I've got this like kind of oval I developed. And it starts with child, then it goes to student, intern, um, uh, intern, then producer, then investor, then consumer, then legator. So that provides kind of a, a guideline for people to kind of say where they are, you know, I'm, I'm out there, I'm earning the living every day and I'm trying to build up and put away money. So they're a producer, maybe producer investor. They're in that category. Um, other clients that I have that are, you know, maybe retired and financially secure might be in the legator stage or the consuming stage where they're drawing down their funds and that kind of thing. So I start with that. And then that brings up other questions, you know, so if you're in the, Let's say you're in the consuming stage. Are you comfortable? Do you feel like you have enough money? Do you, you know, are you fulfilled in what you're doing? We talk a lot about that. And so I kind of start with that. Where are you? Mm-hmm. And then the next question I ask is where, what do you want or where do you want to be? And the way I ask that, I, you may be familiar with, I'm, I've been a long time um, student of the strategic coach program. Or Yeah, coaching. Dan Sullivan. He's been on, he's been on the show and he's, He's, uh, yeah, yeah. Dan and his wife Barbie 
they're out of uh, Babs. Sorry, Babs. They're out of Toronto, Canada. For all those who don't know who they are, he's quite, quite the uh, coach, the strategic coach. Uh, coaches people now. Have you? Are you in his program? Or were um, you? I'm out this year, but I've been in for many years. Yeah. Off, off and on. You know. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I'm, I'm still connected with the program. And so actually, so that leads me to, so there's a book called the Dan Sullivan question mm-hmm. and I've taken that and modified it slightly, but I love asking this question. I ask it all the time. Um, and I'll ask you if this for January, 2024, Greg, and I'll pretend you're the client. Um, and you were looking back on the last three years. Um, what would have to happen for you personally, professionally and financially for you to feel that that was a successful three-year period in your life? That's my question. Personally, for my Compassionate Communications Foundation to grow and help and serve more people, uh, when I say more, a minimum of 30 a year individuals where I give grants. Um, Secondly, for my income to grow as a percentage so that I can support all of this um, at a minimum of 10 to 12% a year, right? Um, And then for me to utilize the resources I have in some way to make a difference. In other words, the money that I've already accumulated, whether it's, when I say a difference, I could be giving it to my son to buy a home or giving it to my grandchildren or or my wife and I using it for some endeavor that we would use it for. But more importantly, on how can I contribute back? That would be a success for me. So you've thought about this. That's, that's great. Um, when I asked that question, um, and yours has a lot of meaning behind it, which I, I knew it would based on the conversation we had so far. But um, when I asked that question, I mean, usually I get a pretty long answer. Um, it, it, sometimes it, it evolves in an hour, hour and a half conversation, which is great. Mm-hmm. The deeper we go, the better. Because the more I understand about that, the more I can help someone get there. So, um, your question was about the questions, and I generally start with, where I are like you? I like the question, yeah. Where are you, and then where do you go from there? And there's some, Dan Sullivan has some follow-up questions. In that vision, he uses DOS, um, which is dangers, opportunities, and strengths. So what, what stand, I call, my way of asking it is, what stands in your way? That's the dangers. Um, what opportunities do you have to get past those um, those, those dangers and what, what strengths do you have? What personal characteristics do you have that will help you get through those things? So that's the way he approaches that. I, I like that. I like, I like what Dan's doing and I like the fact you're using it. You know, the dangers in my estimation, just I'll answer real quickly are, are your own mindset. The most, the most dangerous thing you have going is right between your ears and your attitude. Um, so the biggest danger is having a negative attitude. I wouldn't be in the personal growth business if, if that weren't the case, because I believe that most of my life. Um, the second one and the opportunities is opportunities are boundless, whether it's bad times or good times. It's really the first one, the D, that prevents you from seeing the O. Um, uh, and so that you can build the S. <laughs> if you know what I mean. So, and I like this because you talk about this in your book. You speak about creating a more peaceful relationship with money. Okay. By the way, can I ask you one question before we go yeah. on to that? Yeah. 
couldn't the stuff between your ears also be your greatest strength too? It could also could also be. Oh, it is, it is if if you are working on it. I think just like playing the trombone or playing any musical instrument. I mean, I'm great. We start off with music because I see the kids that are dedicated. My wife has, and then I see the ones that don't practice in between. And I think anything requires, it's like doing this podcast show. People always say, Oh, you're such a great interviewer. Well, I've done 800 and almost 50 interviews. You're going to get good because you're going to keep doing it. And if you don't quit and you persist, you know, good things are going to happen. So just, keep just keep at it you know just keep at it and that's the that's the thing i the question i have for you because this one out of all the things you said in your book i think the fact that you were looking for harmony and balance and peace with money okay what advice would you give the listeners in creating this peaceful relationship with money you know money whether you came from a i came from a small little jewish mother about this tall uh maiden named feinberg so couldn't be any more Jewish. I would presume that you might have a little bit of that persuasion in your blood as well. I, I do. Okay. 100%. Yeah. So there's a lot of guilt that came around money uh, right. and being brought up Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, and, and I'm, I'm blessed by what was given to me from the standpoint of the mental mindset around money, because I had the opportunity to learn how to shift it. Okay, it wasn't scarcity mentality. It's really abundance mentality. And the fact that you can have that, but it's also really, I love the word you used, peace, because so many people are not at peace with what it is they have or what it is they want or how they're going to get there. Well, so you just said, you just said a lot, and I think I have a lot to say about that. Um, So first of all, I consider myself a work in progress. I, I'm still, I think people, you know, like in life, like if you're in therapy, like regular therapy with a psychologist or therapist, you know, it's, it's a lifelong process. It's not just like, you know, I had some struggles and now I'm good. You have to keep working on it. So one of the things it's interesting because, um, you know, when you're talking about, we were talking before about DOS and the, the mind can be either, um, you know, strength or a danger. Um, so one of the things I think you do about that, just like you would exercise, just like if it's physical therapy or, or physical exercise, you exercise the mind. So you can do that by reading, which obviously you've got all those books behind you in your background. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, you know, doing a lot of reading. I'm, I'm doing a lot of kind of spiritual growth reading type stuff now. But also in my book, I have something uh, about the mental aspect of money, and I, it, so I've named them prosperity proclamations, which I think I may have taken that name. I might have. I met Mark Victor Hansen very early in his career, long before he was the chicken soup for the soul guy. Me too. Uh, he used and, to drive um, around in a Volkswagen and do talks right, for and insurance our, agents and go rah-rah right, and then do right. yes, 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 yes. And right, I've known right. Mark personally for some time because I live about – uh, 50 miles from him. So oh, that's great. We have, I have to visit you. We have a lot to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> but, but anyway, um, but uh, he, um, but I think he might have coined that term prosperity proclamations. And I've sort of collected them over the years and I put some in the book. I do think it's a matter of, you know, I, certain days I'm sure I'm not at ease with money, but, but I do the exercise, you know, and, and the exercise keeps you in shape. In terms of, you know, because things change. The world world is 
especially if you didn't believe it before, just look at 2020. You know, it was very fluid and things change. So you have to, you know, adapt, adapt your mind and condition your mind and your spirit to what's going on. So um, that's, that's part of it. Um, the other way I think you get calm and peace is if you really understand your situation, because most people don't financially. You know, it's amazing to me how many people I meet that they have their assets, but they don't, like you said, you're building money for what? Well, you're building it to live on at some point in your life. And I don't, I also talk about retirement. I'm not a big believer personally in retirement. You know, I talk about refirement in there or aspirement, you know, aspire instead of retire. Because I think, I think if you don't, if you're not constantly striving for new things, you die. You know, it's like if you don't grow, you die. And I'm, Right. Do what you do. I'm sure that that's that you. Well, you at least die inside. I, I think that's one of my my little Jewish mothers think. You know, she worked till she was 83. You know, and she couldn't just sit at home. She just didn't like it. She was the oldest checker, believe it or not, and she didn't need the money at Home Depot. She mm-hmm. loved the human interaction to be able to talk to people. Right. Right. Uh, and it's, I, 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 I can that to kind of you, you know, you said earlier in the show, something about, oh God, you weren't going to go down that accountant path, you know, cause it was so boring. Well, what you did is you mixed accountancy with the ability to actually interact with people and have an impact that makes a difference than putting on, a, you know, the green visor and sitting there and grinding numbers out and saying you were whatever. That's the biggest difference. And, you know, you said, I know know accountants like that today that, you know, I have a different vision of accounting too. Yes. No, it's what you make of it. So a lot of them have branched out quite a bit and a lot of them do still go very reclusive and sit back in and we need both. We need both. But, you know, you say this assessment and the finances, but in your step four is provide a treatment or a prescription for the client. So what makes your treatments or recommendations different from many of the other advisors that they would get? And what is this roadmap? You call it ROD and then MAP is spelled M-A-P with capital letters for success. Because look, when you get to this point of, of treatment, the prescription after you've done this assessment, where are you? What are your finances? What are your goals in life? Those key questions that you're asking people that are asking us to contemplate our future and our present and what we're going to do. And now we've spilled everything out to you, Mark. We've given you everything we've got. This is where we are. We're still working. We got X in the bank. You know, what's your prescription? Right. Right. Well, so, yep. So this also goes to your last question about where does calm and peace come from? So you understand where you are, but then you understand how you're going to get to where you're going. And that's where the prescription comes in. And I think that's part of what gives people peace. And, and uh, um, you know, we also, I know you'll ask me about this because it's one of the stages, but we check in with people many times after we do, we do a plan because that's where the calm and the peace comes from, where people understand they're going to be okay and they're going to have money for these various goals, whether it's just to have a comfortable retirement, whether it's to, um, you know, change the world, enhance the world, whether it's to, provide a legacy, whatever those things are, they know that they're on track to do that. So the roadmap, to answer your question, um, the MAP, the MAP is capitalized because it stands for Money Action Plan. So the idea is 
What kind of things do you need to do to tweak in your plan or to do to make sure that you're going to accomplish your goals? And that goes in writing and it gets broken down into bullet points. And we, we, we call it an implementation guide. And in the implementation guide or the roadmap, um, there are things that are checked off with dates and deadlines and things that you know are going to happen that are going to positively impact your overall um, financial situation. Um, the things we recommend, what's different about it is that our plan doesn't go in and say you should buy this product or that product or whatever. It's the, what are, now there might be products involved. You might, as an example, you know, it might be you need to update your estate documents because what you said you wanted is not reflected in those documents. And here's the outline of what that should look like based on what you said. And we'll help get you to the attorney. We'll walk you through it. We'll sit with you if you want to, or be on Zoom with you if, if you want us to, to make sure that the I's get dotted and the T's get crossed and you get that estate plan. Along with that, you had stated that you're concerned about estate taxes. You might want to consider life insurance for that purpose to help with that. So that's a product. But we don't talk about a company's product. We don't talk about anything specific. It's not there to sell. It's just to say, hey, here's the options that are available to you um, to help with that, you know, to help with whatever that goal is, whatever you're lacking in that area. Of course, it might be putting away more money in certain kinds of instruments. It might be a better balance of, of their assets or more in line with the risk profile or whatever that is. But again, we're not going in. We're, we're saying, here's what you need to do to get there. It's not based on any product or set of products. It's based on, here's what you need to do to get there. And well, I, I think, think what's important, Mark, is that you are providing options and you're giving your clients the opportunity and guidance. So here's the important part. You know, look, you're the Sherpa. You've been down the path many times with many different clients. You've seen mistakes and your role. That's why people go to attorneys so that they won't make those mistakes to get the advice but then you give them the options, right? Yep. Here are the options for your plan. Um, you state that your philosophy is simple. You encourage the clients to consider financial issues in a new way and from new perspectives. Um, how does looking at this physical house from the vantage point change the relationship with money and finances? Because this book, I will tell you after having read it, it's while it's quite simple read right, right. Uh, it's very profound in its philosophical viewpoint about how to look at the world and your world right and that's what i love about it and this is accolades to you because as you said hey i questioned that pyramid from the beginning that wasn't how i wanted to run this practice so if you were to sum up for our listeners today what is the key advantage to following the fiscal therapy model? What might that be? What are, or what are the key advantages? Well, I appreciate what you said, first of all, because first of all, it was intended to be a, a good, easy read because I told you most of my clients are entrepreneurs. And along with that, that means relatively short attention spans. Yeah. Um, you know, having been again in the strategic coach program, which is, all for entrepreneurs. Um, Dan Sullivan's books are very short, you know, so I got that and, and he called airplane books. So mm -hmm. on the plane back from Toronto or Chicago or wherever I was going, 
I'd have read the book by the time I got home. This book was designed the same way. And, um, and it was designed to kind of shake up your thinking about money and to have you think differently about it. It was meant to be read simply, but to make you think and have, you know, some, some, um, profundity, not profanity, profundity mm-hmm. come out of it, you know, you know, to, to think deeper about money. Um, so, yeah, so I think what, I think the ultimate thing to have people, um, you know, get out of the book and also our process is to think that it's bigger than money. You know, it's money is a tool. You mentioned that in the beginning to get where you want to go. Um, but it's bigger than money. You know, what does that, what does, what does money mean to you? What's your relationship? We get one of the questions I ask is very bluntly. I'll say, you know, how does money occur to you? Or what, how, if I asked you about your relationship with money, tell me about that, mm-hmm. you know, and whatever comes to you. I say things in the book like, you know, why do people call, there's this expression, cold cash. Why do they call it cold cash? Why don't they call it warm, fuzzy money? <laughs> why, why, and you had talked before about abundance. Well, cold cash doesn't make it sound like something you want abundance of, but you know, nice, warm, you know, next to a fire kind right. of money, right. you know, makes you think of right. something that is a positive thing. That's that you know, and and you know, how about the, how about the old supposedly biblical expression, "Money is the root of all evil." Right. Well, that's not this supposedly the original quote biblical quote was the love of money is the root of all evil. Right. Well, there's a, there's a huge difference. So I'll bring those things up to people and get them to think differently about all, all of this. And it, 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 so, you know, I believe ultimately that we were meant to be as people were meant to progress, we're meant to be progressive. We're meant to grow throughout our life. So that's why I love what you do in terms of, you know, inner growth. And, you know, I, I think that's, you know, I, I think that's a lot of what life is about. I think we're also meant to have abundance. You know, we're meant to have more than right. we need and be able to share and give back to the world, as you talked about in your three-year vision. So that's, those are the kind of things that people, oh, and here's the other thing. People don't, people simply don't talk enough about money. There was one thing I was very fortunate about, and it's because of my background, my father always talked to us about money and my parents openly as a family. Right. I ask people about that. Most people don't seem to do that. Not only that, but I will tell you that I think we're a puritanical society when it comes to money. You know, you can watch these, all these great series that are on Netflix and all these other um, streaming channels. And you can know everything about people's um, sex lives, you know, their, their deep inner struggles. You can hear all that stuff. But very rarely do they discuss their issues with money or, you know, you might you might have somebody that's poor that, you know, comes a criminal because they need money or something like that. But they don't you don't hear them talking about money. Now it's changed. You have these shows like Billions, you, you know, you have some things that have come out recently. But in general, we don't talk about money. So by talking about it, getting more comfortable and knowing that you're closer to your goals than you think you are or that if you're not as close as you'd like to be, you know exactly what to do about it. All that, I think, brings more peace and it brings more understanding and it brings more fluidity and it makes it a natural part of life rather than this possibly evil thing that's hanging out there that we've been led to believe about um, over the years. Well, one of the, you were talking about shows, I think one of the 
shows that does a pretty good job of talking about money is uh, The Last Tango in Halifax. It's a British oh, I, show. If you haven't seen it, but yeah. it, it does a really good job of weaving it in the finances of the family and the challenges they face and who's going to pay it and who's going to borrow from whom and what, you know, all those kind of things, which you say people aren't talking about. But I think it's this mental construct that you get early on about money that either needs somewhere along the line to possibly shift, depending on the generation you got it from, or you need to work on it yourself. But the reality is, is what you do is you help people see their mental construct by the questions that you ask. And it gets them thinking because frequently they're not thinking about money. They're thinking about what they can do with money if they had it. I'll stay that. They're thinking about what they could do with money if they had it. The if they had it part is the part that should come first because that's what they need to be working on to get it to be able to do what they're going to do. Right. Right. So so that's um it's almost like I've already spent it and I don't even have it yet. But it also goes with the question of purpose that you asked about before. It's, you know, you know, why do you, uh, I have a son who he's always like, you know, I'm not going to be in the system. You know, he's one of these, he's like, he's, he's growing out of that, but he's always outside the system kind of guy. And I'm like, well, what do you want to do? What kind of life do you want to have? You know, I want to have cars. I want to have a comfortable life. I want a nice house. Well, how are you going to do that? <laughs> you have to figure out right. how you're going to do that. There's steps right. to getting there. And the, we're working through them, but the, the getting um, there part, and and that's what you address. And I think that whether people have made it or they're in the process of, they use the term making it. You know, the 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 stages of the life are so important in doing the evaluation and the assessment and the roadmap uh, to get people there. There's a lot of people that you work with that are still in growth stage. You know, you said you had a little chart. Sure. You know, here's where you fall on this chart, right? And that is kind of the, that is all of our lives. And I, that's what I love about Joseph Campbell. You know, where are we on this hero's journey? You know, we, we go out, we're seeking, like you said, you're reading a lot of books about spirituality right now, because you're, spe- you're seeking this information about finitude. You know, the lost art of dying. I did an interview just two months ago with a doctor out of New York. That lost art of dying, 97% of the people are dying in a hospital with no one around them, right? right? In, the olden, in the olden days, yes. But in the olden days, even still without COVID, it was that way. Right. But in the olden days when we died, we died with our families around us because we didn't have all these hospitals. Right. You know, back to the 15th century and all these, these areas. And there is kind of an art to this art. When I say an art, it's what are you thinking about in your finitude? What are you going to leave? How are you going to leave? Spiritually, how are you going to leave? You know, are you leaving with fear or are you leaving in peace? Right? And I think a lot of people, fear motivates a lot of things. But a lot of times, as you can say, it immobilizes people, immobilizes them. They can't move when they have that fear. They're just like they stop, right? So yeah. you address many of those things. I know you do, Mark, in not only in this book, but when you 
get together with people. And I want to thank you for writing an easy to read book for all my listeners. I know at the beginning of this podcast, I forgot to put the J in, but go to Mark M A R C J Bernstein, B E R N S T E I N.com. There you will see information about Mark. There's a couple of videos there. Uh, You can learn about his process. Uh, Great little website um, tells more. Get the book. You can get this off of Amazon. Okay. We'll have a link to the Amazon link. We'll have a link to Mark's website. Mark, kudos to you for a great book. Uh, Thank you for joining us on this uh, early January morning here to talk about your new book and your philosophy and how you approach not only money, but how we live our lives. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Well, you're a great interviewer. You asked some great questions, and and I've really enjoyed the conversation, Greg. So thanks for having me. Thanks, Mark. Have a good rest of your day. You too. Take care, Greg.